Thank you, church, for being here today. I um, am excited to share what God's put on my heart to share today. Um, I, I'm glad that you're here. It's a good day to be in church. How many can say amen? We're in church. Come on. Good to be here. Welcome to you if you are new today. Um, if this is your first time uh, or second time, man, we are so glad and honored that you are with us today. My name is Scott. I serve as the lead pastor, and um, it's my privilege to be on this platform and to share and open up the Word of God with you today. Welcome to our online audience. If you are joining us online, uh, we know that God has something for you too. We are, the Lord, we may be limited by space and time, but God is not. He is not limited by space and time, and He's got something for you, and He's got something for us in this room. Uh, I believe, and I, I, at 9 a.m., I just sensed, man, there was such a leaning in. Uh, people are really leaning into the Word, and I, I sense that that's what God wants to do in us, is have us leaned in. I believe every time we gather, God has something to say and God has something to do in our lives. And sometimes both. Sometimes he wants to speak to you and do something in your life. And I believe that he wants to do that today. Today is also a great day because uh, we have 10 preteens being water baptized today in our preteen ministry. Let's celebrate that today. Uh, we've got lots of families who are back in the warehouse today, both at 9 and 11, uh, watching their preteen go public with their faith and and make a confession publicly. That's fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. So we celebrate that. We're so excited about that. Um, so today is uh, the start of something new at GT. Uh, if you're on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram, you would have seen a video I posted. Uh, I think it went up Friday sometime, uh, where I, I kind of give every week, I give a little preview of what we're talking about on Sunday. And this week, I, I told you on Thursday or Friday that we'd be talking about money today. How many saw that video? So thank you for coming uh, when you knew that we were talking about money. For the rest of you that didn't know, well, you're stuck here now, so might as well stay. But um, we're starting a brand new series. You see it on the screen behind me called It Doesn't Make Sense. And, uh, and I, would, I would exhort you to do your best to be here every week. Uh, and I, I usually do say that at the beginning of any teaching series because the, one of the reasons why I prefer to teach in series is because I just think the Bible has way too much to say about a topic to deliver that in one message. I think that the, the Word of God is very robust and has a lot to say about the different matters of our lives, and money is certainly no exception. Eleven of the 49 parables that, 39 parables that Jesus taught were about money. And um, we'll look at a story today in Matthew 19 that addressed the heart of money. And so what I'm saying is I want you to be here because in order for you to, to, walk, away from, to walk away from service and to be part of GT, to know the, the whole picture of what the Word of God says about biblical stewardship and principles of finance and money, you need to hear all four messages, not just today. So I encourage you to be here next week uh, and every week thereafter to hear the whole picture. Uh, so the, 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 the idea of it doesn't make sense, I'm sure that every one of you can uh, relate to me where there are, are aspects of life in your little world, your corner of the world, that you would say, that just doesn't make sense. Um, I've got a couple I'm going to share. You have your own list as well. I'm certain of it. And if you're type A, how many type A's in the room? You're kind of OCD type A. You're, you're, you, I'm a type A in, in many ways. And we, I'm going to say we because some of you are like me, we tend to think that there is a best way to do things. And then there's all the other ways to do them, right? Like type A is like, and, and sometimes it even is ethical, like there's a right way and there's a wrong way, right? Like in my mind, there's a right way to load the dishwasher, but nobody else in my household agrees with my right way. They're wrong and I'm right. Like, again, they're not wrong and I'm not right. It's just we tend to think in terms of right and wrong and we have a way, way of seeing the world and we think that our way is best and you have to live life with humility when you're wired like that. So here are a couple of the things that, I, that when I was thinking about today that I think don't make sense. I don't think it makes sense that there are restaurants out there with menus that don't include the prices 
of the food I'm ordering. Like, if I'm going to buy crab cakes, I want to know, like, oh, what, what is this going to set me back, right? We're talking about money, so that's a good example. Um, it doesn't make sense that I seem to have an odds-defying ability to consistently choose the slowest line at the grocery store. Can anybody relate to me, right? Like, you two have the odds-defying ability to find the slowest line at, in, in spite of my best effort to look and count the number of items they're checking. Who does that? Come on. You, you all, okay, we're all the same. Yes. Awesome. Um, it doesn't make sense to me when people drive below the speed limit in the passing lane. Amen. Yes. If you are driving below the speed limit in the passing lane, public service announcement, that's what the right lane is for. I love you enough to tell you because there are people, and I'm going to give you a gift, okay? This is a gift to all of those who are like me. If you are an aggressive driver, tell your spouse or the people in your car that you're not aggressive, you're just assertive, okay? There's a difference, and I tend to be an assertive driver, and so I, get, I can be annoyed when somebody's in the passing lane. It doesn't make sense to me. Get over. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that an average cloud that weighs over a million pounds can stay suspended in the upper atmosphere. That's pretty wild, right? Like a million pounds of water vapor, and it's not just crashing to earth. That doesn't make sense. And again, I know there's a scientific explanation for it, but in, in general sense, like, that doesn't make sense. It's crazy. Um, I don't think it makes sense. Again, maybe you're on the other side of this. I understand a lot of these are preferences. But I don't think it makes sense that anyone would leave a room and not turn out the light. Just lovingly telling you that that's a thing in our home, okay? I tend to turn out the light. If I'm done in a room, the light doesn't need to be on, right? That hasn't caught on yet in my house, just saying. Um, my wife was here at the first service, so it was fun because I was teasing her a little bit. But um, here's, a, here's another one. Um, this is my last one. And again, you have your own list. I know you do, okay? You have your own list, and it's probably stirring you to think of some of those things that you don't think make sense. The last one is, I don't think it makes sense that anyone would return a container of liquid to the refrigerator without making sure that the cap was securely fastened. Because if you're like me... You sometimes have grabbed the milk or the orange juice, and as soon as you grab it, you tend to give it one of these to shake it. And if the lid wasn't previously correctly fastened, I will be wearing almond milk because the person who used it before me didn't put the lid on right. That doesn't make sense to me. Have you, how many do that? How many grab the thing and just start shaking? Anybody do that? Have you ever worn the liquid? Yeah, see? doesn't make sense, does it, Vince? Now, my wife, my wife would offer the other side of that argument. She would say, it, well, Scott, it doesn't make sense that you don't check the lid first. Like, duh, right? And she's right, too. So we're both right. We can agree to be both right because I've done it more than once. My worst ever was I, I literally one time, if you ever do any painting in the house, I one time grabbed a gallon of paint Yes. I grabbed a gallon of white paint, and you need to give it one of these, like to shake it up. I did. The lid was setting on top of the paint. It was half full. And I took, and I'm like, again, I'm assertive, okay? I gave it an assertive, like, I'm going to shake this up before I use it. So I literally took this thing, and I shook it like this, and the paint went, it came, I was covered in paint, the ceiling, the wall, and the carpet, covered in paint. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my word, Kate, put the lid on right. Only to realize it was me. <laughs> I had been the one doing the painting the, the day before, and I just rested the lid on and pick it up. And doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. So we're talking about things that don't make sense. And I want to talk today about um, the relationship that money has with your heart. You know, we're talk, taking four weeks on this topic biblical stewardship, and I think the best place to start is the heart, right? And eventually we'll talk about things in the, the life of the Spirit that you may think don't make sense. Uh, let me just bring it, be very clear up front. So we believe as a church in the biblical principle of tithing. 
We believe, if I could say it in 30 seconds, we believe that God owns everything that I have. He asked me to return 10% back to him through the local church for the work of the ministry, and he allows me to live on 90% of what's remaining. But for a lot of us, a lot of you in the room, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, I can't live on 100% of what I have. How can I live on 90%? That doesn't make sense. We will address that in weeks to come. But I just want to talk today about the way that our heart connects with money. And we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have one of these, you can go ahead and turn there if you like. Again, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. But my heart for this series is that, as again, as we lean in to what the Word of God has to say about stewardship, about finance, about managing the things that God puts in our lives, my heart is that you and I will discover freedom in our lives in every dimension. I think that God wants us to live in freedom, and that also applies to our finances. And I believe the Word of God has a lot to say about that. And so I'm hoping that you will join me for the next few weeks and lean into what the Word of God says about this topic. But today I want to talk, uh, I, want to, I want us to encounter a story in Matthew 19 where there's a young man, the Bible says he was a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus with a question. And he is rich, and he, the Bible says he's a ruler, which means that he had two things that have unrivaled capacity to corrupt. I think you can agree with me that money is one of those things, right? We watch it in our culture all the time. Around us, there are very wealthy people in America. You look at entertainers and actors and actresses and, and professional athletes. They have a ridiculous amount of money. And I, I think that money has an unrivaled capacity to corrupt us if we're not careful. I think this, a close second is power. Money and power, two things that have an incredible capacity to corrupt us. Some of you are here and you're thinking, well, man, I'd at least like a shot at that. I'd love to have a lot of money and try to see if I don't get corrupted, right? Like, but this, this young man that we're going to encounter in the Word of God today had both. He was wealthy in that world, in the ancient world. He was a wealthy man with many possessions. And the Bible says he was a young ruler, so he had a lot of influence in his culture. And he has this conversation with Jesus that I think highlights a couple of things that are incredibly important for us as we begin our journey through this series. So this is, what, this is how Matthew gives us this story, starting in Matthew 19, verse 20, or verse, verse 16. And Matthew writes, just then a, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, if you're new to the church, you're new to the faith or to Christianity, you might in your mind think to yourself, well, that's a really good question. Like, what do I have to do to go to heaven? That's a, a great question. Now, if you're not new to the faith, if you're a veteran believer in this place, when you read that statement, in your mind you're thinking, well, the Bible says there's nothing that you can do to earn God's approval. The Bible is very clear in its teaching. Jesus and the apostles were very clear in their teaching that there's nothing that we can ever do to earn God's approval. The only way the Bible says that we can go to heaven is by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we can be saved. So this is a really good question. It's not the only time that somebody asked Jesus this question. But the, so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus said, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. So he makes two statements here. Jesus reminds us that all fall short of the glory of God. He said nobody is good. And that should have been the first clue for this rich young man, because Jesus says, you'll never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. Can I say that again? You will never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. And so this, this response that Jesus gives, on one hand, he reminds the young man that you'll never do it. And yet his next response is very interesting. It doesn't make sense to me. He said, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And as I read that, I'm like, well, 
I don't know that that makes sense to me. Like at first blush, Jesus says, no one is good enough. No one will ever go to heaven based on their works and their behavior. And then he turns right around and says to this young man, if you want to enter life, just keep the commandments. Like, well, Jesus, like, I'm not sure that adds up. Like, oh, you said me, you told me I can't do it. And then you tell me to go do it. And as you read this and contemplate the story, I think we should understand that there's something else that Jesus is after. Jesus never said something by mistake, right, church? He never, he never misspoke, if I could offer that to you. He never, he never said something like we do. And then, oh, no, 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 let me, let me clarify. Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't misspeak when he said this because he's trying to isolate a heart issue in this young man. And so the story goes on. The young man says, well, which ones? So keep the commandments. Which ones must I follow? I'm ready to go, Jesus. Just tell me what I must do. What do I have to do? And I'll do it. And again, Jesus indulges the conversation because if I was Jesus, thank God for all of you that I'm not. Thank God for me that I'm not. But if I was Jesus, I would have said, well, no, no, no. I think you misheard me. Like, I don't mean, like, keep the commandments because then somehow you can earn your way to heaven. I meant have faith in me. But Jesus indulges the conversation here. And he says, he answers the question, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus goes on to give him a list of do's in a, in a conversation that has no, there's not enough do's that you can do to earn God's approval. Jesus gives him a, a list of six do's so that he can enter life. I'm like, well, there's got to be something else here in this text because there's no way that Jesus could be telling him, as long as you do those six things, you'll go to heaven. He, so Jesus is looking to isolate something else. He's looking to expose the matters of the heart. That's why this, this week I want to start on understanding the relationship between our heart and money. That's what Jesus is doing here. So the young man says, all these I have kept. So this young man isn't just rich, he's not just influential, but he's also a bit, um, not, maybe not proud, maybe he is prideful, but he's confident. He's like, well, Jesus, I did all that. And yet, he says this, look at this, he says, I've done all those things, what do I still lack? There is an innate sense in this young man that something is still missing, he knows. He's like, I've done all this. I've got everything that my world has to offer. And I've kept all your commandments. Why do I still feel empty inside? What am I still missing, Jesus? Like there's something not right, like I'm lacking something. Then Jesus said this. He answered, if you want to be perfect. Now, again, that doesn't make sense to me. Like we're not talking about perfection, Jesus, just I'm not saying like, well, what's, where's the bar? Like, how high is the bar? Like, done these six things. What other things can I do to reach the bar? I don't, Jesus is not giving him another bar. <clears throat> because if you actually look at the original language here, the Greek word that Jesus literally spoke that Matthew records, its literal meaning is lacking nothing for completeness. And so he's answering the question, the young man says, what do I still lack? Jesus says, if you want to lack nothing, this is what he says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. He tells him more things to do. So do these six things. Then he says, oh, if you want to be, if you want to lack nothing, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Here's the catch. Here's the, the, the word that grabs this man's heart. If you want to, if you want to, Enter life, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. He says, if you want to have treasure in heaven, if you want to enter life, you have to be willing to walk away from those things that are more important to you. You have to be willing to give me your life. And at this, Matthew says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad which means grieved or sorrowful because he had great wealth. And I think that what we learn in this passage 
is that Jesus, we, we should be, there's various things, as I've already highlighted, there's, there's numerous things in that story, that encounter that Jesus had with this young ruler that should arrest our attention, that we should be kind of captivated by this story, by, by the responses of Jesus, especially those of us religious folk, and I'm one of them, like not religious in a legalistic fashion, but I'm a religious person, like I love God, I go to church, right? Like we should be kind of startled by his responses because they weren't the responses I would have given. But Jesus is after the man's heart. And he's after your heart. And he's after my heart. And we should, be, we should take notice in this story that Jesus is concerned about the external. He doesn't not care about the way that we manage our lives and our possessions and those things that are external to our being so he cares about those things, but he also cares more about matters of the heart, about what's internal. And what he was doing was exposing that this, for this young man who had great possessions, his possessions had become an idol in his life. And Jesus was saying, if you're going to follow me, none of those things can be more important to you than I am. So the young man walks away. He's kind of sad. He's like, wow, like, I thought it would be easier than this. Like, now I have to go sell everything. Like, I'm not ready for that. And so Jesus isn't finished, though. Then he, he addresses his disciples, because I think they're listening to this conversation. They're tuned in. They're watching probably, probably five or ten feet back. They're like, oh, this is interesting. And then they hear his response. They're like, wow, that was not what I expected he'd say. And then he says to them. So they don't ask him a question, but he knows, right? Jesus knows what they're thinking. So Matthew said, then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the disciples are probably even more confused. They're like, so now it's about wealth? Like, what on earth, Jesus? Like, now you're saying rich people can't go to heaven? Like, that doesn't make sense. And, and so some of you in the room are like, well... Like, I'm off the hook. Like, I ain't rich, right? I won't ask you to raise your hand. But a lot of us in the room will say, well, it doesn't apply to me. I, I can just kind of, I'll listen nicely. This is a cute message, Scott. But I don't have to listen because this doesn't affect me. I'm not rich. Well, let me, let me challenge that for a second. By American standards, I would agree. Most of us probably are not rich. But by the world's standards, you have great possessions. In fact, I did a little Google search, 45 seconds I discovered that there are 34 countries in our world where the average household, household income is $1,000 a year. In 34 countries, the majority of their citizens live on $1,000 a year. Maybe Jesus' remarks here do address me. A lot of us have a home we live in, we have a car, we've got possessions. Maybe the words that Jesus is speaking address us. So then you're like, well, then I'm in trouble, right? Jesus just said the word of God says nobody rich can end up. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. He's not finished. Listen to what he says. When the disciples heard this, you and I would have had the same reaction. They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Because they're like, that's a lot of people, right, that have a lot of possessions. Who on earth can make it, Jesus? If you're saying that it's hard for a rich person, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, I love this verse, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And maybe, maybe you're here today, maybe you're joining us online and you don't need to hear that word prophetically into your life regarding your finances. But maybe you've got some other situation or circumstance in your life. Then you need to be reminded today that with God, all things are possible. And it's interesting. This is what really caught my attention about this story is that, you know, if you're a church person, I've said this many times. I've prayed this for people. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing too difficult for them who believe. Like, I, those are a natural, that's my natural vernacular when I pray for people. I don't think I ever realized that 
Jesus said those words when he was talking about money. Now, he wasn't telling you that you should go home and if anything's possible for God, I'm going to pray for a billion dollars and God will do it. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, with man, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible for a rich person because they, they sometimes depend on their wealth for their security. But Jesus reminded them that with God, all things are possible. And I want to... Um, I want to take the, the remaining moments that we have, and I want to illustrate this for us, because I said to you earlier, this is a message that while we're starting a series on money, I want to talk about the heart, because I believe that this story that we've just encountered about Jesus and the rich young ruler, Jesus was after his heart. Jesus' concern was with the man's heart. And all of the questions that might not make sense to us that Jesus responded to with answers that didn't make sense at first blush, all of those responses were given so that he could address the heart. And I, I want to I talk about the transition that happens for us when we come to faith in Christ. Again, some of you are, are veteran believers. You've been around the church for a long time and and you've already made the transition in many aspects of your lives. This table today right here represents the things in my life where I prefer to retain control over. These are the things in my life that I prefer to have it my way. And then in the life of a disciple, you are slowly but surely moving things over to this side where you're saying, God, I no longer need to retain my right to control this. And I yield to you, God. There's an aspect of life that I'm like, oh, this is still mine. Like, I want this. I'll control it, God. Thanks, but no thanks. Like, I got it. And then as you grow in faith, you learn that more and more, I want to move things to this place where I surrender and yield my control over this. And I joyfully respond to God and say, God, everything I have is yours. And everything is here. And so I yield to you, God, direct me. Guide me on how I should manage this in my life. And there's a, there's a process of transition and transformation. So let me give some examples. So uh, your workplace, so I'm not sure what you do for a living. Uh, maybe you're a police officer. Thank you for serving our community. Maybe you're a firefighter. Thank you for serving. Maybe you're an EMT. Thank you for what you do. Uh, maybe you wear a hard hat to work and you're a construction worker. Thank you for what you do. The, the walk of a disciple, this again, thinking of this story in the Bible, is a decision where how I conduct myself in the workplace can no longer stay here. How I interact with my coworkers, my colleagues, how I treat people, eventually I'm going to start saying, you know what, God, how I live at work comes over here. And I surrender myself, not just at home, not just on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, but every day at work, God, I surrender myself, my words, my conduct, and my actions to you, and I yield to the, the ways of God in my workplace. That's the transition that happens. Uh, maybe, now, I talked about assertive driving already, but maybe the kind of car you drive or how you act behind the steering wheel. I just heard a story of somebody getting cussed out this week. You know, how you conduct yourself as the, in the old man, the old woman maybe is over here, but eventually every aspect of your life, even how you interact with your driving life comes over here. Your, um, your hobbies. How many have a hobby they love? Wow, you all need more hobbies, okay. Um, I love to golf. It's a hobby I do love. I enjoy it. Um, it's, my, it's a golf hat. Uh, but there, there are times where in the life of a disciple... I can have a hobby, but sometimes my hobby can have me. And even down to your hobbies, you'd, you know, you, you would choose a hobby that's honoring to the Lord, but there's an aspect of my life and how I use my time that I say, God, this is yours too. Like this, I, I submit my hobbies to the Lordship of Christ. How about, how about um, your video game life? Maybe some young adults, maybe some not so young adults that love video games. Well, how much time you spend video gaming and the kinds of video games that you participate in, you might say, well, 
come on, Scott. Like, really? Like, I can't play certain video games as a follower of Jesus? I don't know. Talk to Jesus about it. But at least talk to him about it because there's some content on some video games out there that you're like, well, that stays here. Like, it's my video game. Like, what's the big deal? Like, I want to leave that right here. Can I tell you, friends, like, even the, the way that you video game, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, come follow me, you surrender that to his lordship in your life. You say to God, if there is some aspect of my video gaming life that doesn't honor the name of Jesus, then I'm willing to surrender that because I want to be a fully discipled person. The movies you watch. I brought a safe one today, Ice Age, Continental Drift, okay? Um, but the movies you watch and the music you listen to, all of this, again, these are things you might say, well, come on, like, that's, that's going to stay here. Like, I, I enjoy the movies I enjoy, and that's okay. Like, you, you should tap into the conviction of the Holy Spirit and ask God about it. But every aspect of your life, the Lord desires to have a voice into it. And what if you decided that I'm going to subjugate my movies and my listening to Jesus? He's after it all. What if... Um, I was digging around my basement, okay? I apologize for some of these things. This is the best I could find. This is a, this is not a non-working blood pressure cuff, if you couldn't tell. Come on, that's funny, y'all. I know it's a money topic, but... Um, but here's the thing. What if... It, this doesn't represent a career, but your health. What if you don't... What if you're not managing your health well? eat whatever you want, you don't take care of your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What if you decided as a follower of Jesus, even my health, I, wanna, I want God's blessing on it. And I want to put it under the subjugation of the Lord. Um, the house you live in, you know, you might, again, I don't know, just wherever you want that. Um, how about your, your parenting? I, brought a, I found this picture of my boys when they were um, probably six months and a year and a half. My oldest is now a sophomore in college. This kind of gets my heart a little bit. Um, but how you parent, church, some of you are not engaging with the Word of God in your parenting. And you're parenting by the world's mechanisms and by the world's standards. Can I encourage you today? Again, he's, he's not Lord of all if he's, if he's not, he's not Lord at all if he's not Lord of all, right? Like, even your parenting, even my parenting I submit to the lordship of Christ and say, God, I want your input into my parenting. I want your voice into my parenting. How about your relationships, your marriage? This is my wife, Kate, and our daughter when she was about five months old. Um, you, if you are not married in this room, this, it is imperative that you submit your choice of a spouse to the Lordship of Christ. That has to be on this table. Some you say, well, why does it matter who I marry? Like, I, can I, I can't marry anybody? Like, what, is, what does it matter? If you've never been married, it matters more than you can imagine who you marry. And if you are in that dating season or you're engaged, how you, how you choose your spouse cannot stay on this table. It's got to move over here. And I would say to married people, how you treat your spouse. You might say, well, that's just, just who I am. How I, that's how I am. Like, I'm not going to change how I talk to my wife, how I respond to my husband. That's okay. You can leave it here. But I, I promise you this. This is where God's blessing is. God's favor, his blessing is here, not here. You leave it over here, you can. God gives you the choice. Did you know that? You are a free moral agent. You have free will. God will let you leave it on this table as long as you want. But I promise you, it's far better if it's over here. If husbands and wives start to love one another as the Bible instructs us to and apply biblical principles to our lives, you will be shocked at what God can do in your life if you put it over here. In fact, my wife and I, we start the couples classes Wednesday night. If you haven't yet signed up, if you're seriously dating, engaged, or married, you can join us still. It's like Tony said, it's the last day to sign up. So you go to the hub after service and get signed up for the couples class. It will make a difference in your life. How about 
all your relationships. This is a photo album, so it reflects different relationships that I have. Uh, the picture on the front is, this is an engagement picture of Kate and I 22 years ago. Isn't that amazing? Um, it's fun looking at those pictures. But all your relationships, again, you can leave them here, but you're not inviting Jesus and his lordship when you leave it here. They need to be over here. I brought one, two more things. Um, so I brought this. I don't even know why, but when you, when you go through the basement, you find treasures, right? <laughs> this is a puppet duck-billed platypus. Scott, what on earth does that represent? I have no idea. It represents that my wife keeps too much stuff. That's what it represents. My wife is a grade school teacher. She's been doing that for a long time, and she has amassed a puppet collection in our basement. And if you, if you have a puppet of a duck-billed platypus, imagine the other kinds of puppets she must have. This is a treasure right here. So anyway, you're teaching. You're, you're, I, don't know, I don't know what it means. But the, the final frontier is the wallet, right? Now, for some of us, that, that wasn't hard maybe when, again, I'm talking about this transformation, the the, the, the Greek word is metamorpho, metamorphosis. There's a metamorphosis that happens in the life of a believer when we surrender to Jesus and his lordship. We invite the spirit of God to deal with us. And he starts to move things from our own leadership, our own jurisdiction, and he starts to compel us to turn things over to him. And sometimes the last frontier is our money is the wallet. And for good reason, right? Because our, our wallet, our money, our finances have an impact on everything we do. I, I can't have a hobby if I don't have money. I can't have clothing. I can't have a house, a car. I need money to survive in this society. And this tends to be one of the final frontiers in our walk of faith. In fact, there are many people that stays right here. You know what? It's going to stay right here where I have control of my money. God, you can have all that stuff. God, all this is yours right here, God. You, you can say whatever you want, God, about these things. But my money, God, like it's getting really close to home now. And I think, God, I'd prefer to retain control of my finances. Well, that's not what I read in the story of the rich young ruler. I see a, I see a Jesus who is addressing the heart of the matter. Now, now God, again... God may call you to abandon everything to go in the mission field, and he may, but for most people, I don't think that's God's call. God's not calling most people to abandon everything, to sell it all, and to go be a missionary in Zimbabwe. Now, we've got a team leaving today, praise God, but what I believe God is after, and I think Jesus, in his unique line of discussion with that young man 2,000 years ago, what I think Jesus is after is surrender. He's after your heart. And, not, and control, but not in a bad way. Like in the workplace, we tend to think of control as a really bad thing. We think of people who are controlling, and nobody wants to work for a boss who's controlling. Jesus isn't that kind of boss. Can I tell you that? Jesus is, he, the Bible says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what Jesus is after is simply your surrender. Say, God, everything I have is yours. Again, you can leave it here. You can keep it right here and say, God, you can have half. You, can, you, can, you have the right to speak into half of my life, but the other half, like, I still want to kind of, and I see this all the time, church. I see it all the time where there are people that I talk with that, that they've got one area, and it's oftentimes in relationships, and they're not yet willing to surrender their relationships to Jesus' lordship. And then they live without his blessing on this aspect of their lives. Can I tell you, church, you cannot afford to live without God's blessing on your life. Everything that you have, that you are, if you're, again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this isn't for you. I have something for you, but this is not for you yet. But for followers of Jesus, someone who professes Christ as Lord, he just desires your surrender. 
that, that he has the right to speak into your life and that you would then acknowledge that his word is directive for your life. And eventually what you end up with is an empty box. We just sang the song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. What would, so we, we had three days of revival with Greg Hubbard. It was amazing. I was here every night. It was powerful, like Tony said, altar time, worship, prayer. We've had people healed, lives changed. I believe one of the greatest indications of revival would be a church full of people whose boxes are empty and who've surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine with me just for a moment what, what God could do with a church like that? What could God do through 500 people times two on a Sunday morning with a, with a room full of people and online who, whose boxes are empty, who have together said, God, nothing I have is mine anyway. I, I freely give it back to you, and I turn it all over to your leadership and to your lordship. I yield to my God. I walk away from the old life, and God, I bring to you absolutely nothing. You know what happens when we bring nothing to God? When we bring an empty container, he fills it. God is in the habit. He's in the business of filling that lack. Again, this goes back to the young man in the story. He said, what do I still lack? If he had only recognized that he can give it all to Jesus and bring his empty box. And he comes with the empty box, says, Jesus, I still lack something. Jesus says, I know you do. What you lack is me. You lack a relationship with your Father in heaven. And what Jesus was really after all along in the story of this rich young ruler was his heart. Jesus doesn't need your stuff, right? The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your stuff. None of this God needs. He's only after your heart and how you manage what he puts in your life, that's what God is after. Bring to him an empty box and say, God, my life, my, my everything is yours. I belong to you. You, God, fill me as you see fit. And, and I want to I show you that this is a repetitive theme in the scripture. So, we read the story of Jesus, right? His interaction and what he says. Paul reiterates the same thing. It's so close, it's uncanny. And you might say, well, what's the bottom line? This is what I believe. If, if you want to make sense of your dollars and cents, and we'll do this for four weeks now, if you want to make sense of your dollars and cents, trust God with your dollars and cents. You need to make a decision that I trust God with everything. Not just one thing that stays over here. All of it. The, the, ta- the box is empty, right? And I come to Jesus. I eventually, now this is a process. Some of you are new to the faith. It takes time to yield it all to God. What he's after is your heart. This is what Paul said. Again, the same, the same topic. Command those who are rich. Some of you might say, well, again, that's not me. But again, I think mo- a lot of us have wealth beyond what many do in this world. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. If you have a lot of possessions, a lot of wealth, Paul said, don't put your hope in those things. Your hope is in Jesus alone. He said, do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And Paul gives instruction now to those who are rich. Command them, those who are rich, command them to do good, to be rich, not again, not to earn God's approval, but in light of God's approval through my faith in Jesus. Nothing that I do is in order to earn his approval. Everything I do unto God is in light of having already been approved of God because of my faith in Christ. So Paul said, For those who are rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
If we are rich in this room, we should be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Take hold of, yes, praise the Lord. When we are willing to surrender to Jesus and not hold on to anything as our own, Paul said the outcome, the end result is that we then take hold of the life that is truly life. That's a good thing. And at the risk of having anyone leave here today, having not taken hold of the life that is truly life, if you are here today and you've never made the decision to make Jesus your Lord, all this, you're like, oh, my word's got like, that's far away. Like, I haven't even come to Jesus yet. I've not even put my hope in God. Today is your day. I want to give you the opportunity to make a decision to trust Jesus with your life. I'd like everybody in this room just to, for one second, bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to ask in this room, I'm not going to count the three, I'm just going to ask a question. If you are here today, heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here today and you haven't yet made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord, but you say, Scott, today... I want to cross the line of faith. I'm like that rich young man. My life is empty. I know I lack something. I've realized today that that something is Jesus. Today, I want to give my life to Christ. Would you just slip your hand up? Give me a little wave. Let me know that you're here today. That Thank you, young man. Anybody else in this room? Says, Scott, today it's me. Yes, thank you in the, the, the upper rows. Anybody online? You're at home and you're at privacy of your home. You can put your hand up. You can let us know online too. Anybody else in this room say, Scott, today I want to make that decision. I want to trust Jesus with my life. For the benefit of those who raised their hand and anybody online, we're going to pray a simple prayer. We're going to all pray together. I just invite you to repeat after me. And this prayer, while this prayer doesn't save you, it gives you the opportunity to express in words the faith of your heart. Pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, Everybody in the room, dear Jesus, I'm asking you right now to do what only you can do. On this day, I place my faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I confess my sins to him and I give him all of me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those who made that decision? Come on. Um, if you made that decision, our ushers have a, a plastic bag. They're going to hunt you down and, and make sure you have it. If you're on your way out, if you want to just find one of them, they've got a plastic bag with some information for you. There's a book in there that will guide you in this new journey. For those of you who raise your hand, if you're online, uh, today online, uh, click the link. Go to the chat. They're going to put a link in there. It'll take you to our website uh, where there's some information, some resources. You can fill out a form. We will follow up with you if you fill it out online. We'd love the chance to walk with you in this new journey of going from here to here. And let me just say this to you before we close. This journey, while it's only six feet on stage, that takes time. Like, you should not leave here with condemnation on you because, oh, there's still some things I've got over here that I'm... I'm working on, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a process. It's a metamorphosis that takes some time. And God is with you. He has not left you alone. The Spirit of God is in you. And he's going to, I don't know why the platypus made it. Um, But the Spirit of God is in you, and he's going to help you with this journey of surrendering all to Jesus. And then God just puts his favor, his abundance his goodness. He just, he lavishes it upon his children. Why? Because he loves you with an everlasting love. Stand with me today. There are some practical things I want to exhort you to today. As Tony said, this is the last day to sign up. We have in our church what's called Financial Peace University, uh, FPU for short. It is a, a class that walks you through the basics of money management. 
If you've never taken time to create a budget, to learn how to live on a budget, learn how to pay your bills on time, plan for the future, FPU would be an incredible blessing to your life. I think it's eight or nine weeks. It's not terribly long. It starts this week. So if you want to get connected and you're like, Scott, I need help with my finances. There's no way I could start giving like that. You go to the hub, you get signed up, and I promise you it will make a difference in your life. You can stop by Scrolls, grab a resource, a book. I would recommend a book. We have a few copies, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. He's considered, well considered an authority in the subject of finance in the church world. Great teaching, so you can grab that book on the way out. Um, I would encourage you to be here next week. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about contentment as it relates to materialism. You know, we live in a world where it's, it's very easy to have this impulse to keep up with those around you, right? You know, keep up with the Joneses, we say. And so next week, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about materialism and living with contentment in our lives. I think that God has something important to say about that. And then finally, and then I'll close in prayer, I want you to ask the Lord this week. I want you to, in your own quiet times, in your own prayer time, you, you begin to ask the Holy Spirit if you have something in your life that's still over here that God wants over here. Again, I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to tell somebody about that, but in your prayer time, you say, Holy Spirit, we learned over the last few weeks, you can talk to the Holy Spirit. And you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you, will you reveal to me if there's anything in my life that I'm still trying to retain control and unwilling to yield to him? I am confident that the Holy Spirit will tell you what that is in your life. And I'm going to pray for us to that end right now as we close. I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God is active in our lives and that he will continue to minister to each one of us as God wants to use a church that is fully surrendered to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your great love for us, your love that has been most clearly demonstrated in your own son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who willingly laid down his life for us that we might live a life and take hold of the life that is truly life. I thank you, God, that I'm part of a church that wants to live fully surrendered to you. I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that wants to empty their box before you, God, and allow you direction and, and invite your voice into our lives in every single area of our lives. I'm excited to see, God, what you could do in a church that wants revival and that together we fully devote ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow you, God, to use every one of us as a conduit of your love and of your grace and of your kindness to those around us. Help us, God, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this week as we live our lives unto you. In Jesus' name I pray. And those who agreed with that prayer said amen and amen and amen.